Hello everybody. This is our first sermon in our new series looking at the book of Song of Songs. Today we're looking at the passage that begins in verse 1 of chapter 1 through to verse 7 of chapter 2. And the title of this sermon is Sensuality and Vulnerability. So then, six weeks on the Song of Songs. Before we get started, I wonder how you feel about that. Maybe you're excited about looking at something new. Maybe you're hungry for an opportunity to think about love and relationships and hopeful to improve your own. Maybe you're a little fearful. Should we be talking about sex out loud in church? What will the neighbours think? Or maybe your emotions are more complex. Perhaps you've been bereaved of your lover or damaged by betrayal. Perhaps you feel lonely in your singleness and are reluctant to study a topic that might make you feel even worse. I think we should be honest about the feelings we start with, because whoever we are, this book is going to affect us. You just cannot read Song of Songs and remain neutral. We should all be prepared for that. My prayer is that God will speak to us over the next six weeks through whatever emotions are exposed. As we come to the text, let us briefly consider what type of book Song of Songs is. The Song of Songs is Israelite love poetry, designed to reflect on the divine gift of love. Scholars disagree on the exact structure of the book, but that does not really matter, because it's not meant to be dissected or pulled apart, rather it's supposed to be read as a whole and enjoyed. Also, as this is poetry, we're not to take anything too literally. Rather, we're to lose ourselves in the metaphorical world that the language creates. The characters are also imaginary, yet they convey a story that we will all recognise. A story we're to feel in our hearts as well as think about in our heads. The title of the book tells us a lot. The Song of Songs is a Hebrew idiom, a bit like the Holy of Holies or the King of Kings. It's a shorthand way of saying that this is the greatest song. It is a celebration of love designed to be read out at special events. Love is something we all yearn for, so the poetry gets right to the heart of our humanness. We're also told in the opening verse that this is Solomon's Song of Songs, but that is unlikely to mean that Solomon wrote it. The majority of the poetry comes from the voice of a woman, and although Solomon makes several appearances in the book, they're not always that flattering. Also, the book is about the passionate love and desire of two people who only had eyes for one another. They're utterly devoted to each other, And that does not fit very well with a king who had 700 wives and 300 concubines, does it? Of course, all those women were part of Solomon's downfall. Calling it Solomon's Song of Songs, then, is not necessarily a mark of authorship. Rather, a comment on what genre this book is. Solomon was famous for writing proverbs. As such, he started the wisdom tradition. The wisdom books in the Bible, such as Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, are practical, real and honest. 
They're both down to earth and written for the salt of the earth. They are born from lived out experience. What this means is that the Song of Songs is poetry with a point. As we enjoy the story and imagery, we are simultaneously going to learn some important lessons on how to conduct our relationships today. Finally, you'll notice as we go through this book that God is never mentioned in it. But that is not to say that he is absent. God made us humans in his image and his goodness is seen in the way human beings come to know and love each other. So as you read the poetry, understand that God is nowhere but everywhere. He's never explicitly mentioned, but his presence is always assumed. Having shared all that with you, let me set out the approach that I'm going to take over the next six weeks, as hopefully that may allay a few of the fears some of us may have. Each week we shall begin by exploring the imagery of the text, making sure we understand the romantic story being told. We'll then think about the practical wisdom that the passage contains for our relationships today. Then finally, I'll draw out one key theme that will relate to us whether we're in a relationship or not. Hopefully these will encourage us and deepen the relationship we do have with the Lord. Okay, let's get going. The first section of the song takes us from verse 1 of chapter 1 to verse 7 of chapter 2. And to that, we now turn. It has been said that when you fall in love, you feel ever so slightly mad. Suddenly you're overwhelmed by a kaleidoscope of dreams and changing emotions. At times it feels like sensory overload as colours and scents, tones and textures blast your consciousness. It's fair to say then that the early days of love are both exhilarating and exhausting. The opening verses of the song are dominated by a young woman articulating her deepest yearning for someone she has fallen in love with. The opening words of let him kiss me are full of pleading and passion and lead us as readers hurtling headlong into a roller coaster of desire. What I think we should notice is that this call for a kiss, a full lingering kiss, turns into an explosion of sensuality. Indeed, very quickly, all five senses have been mentioned. In the first four verses, you have the touch of lips pressed together, the taste of wine, the smell of perfume, the sound of a lover's name. And shortly after that, we have countless descriptions of the sight of physical beauty. Truly, when we fall in love, perception is heightened. Our, our senses start running riot. I wonder how many of us who are lucky to have found love remember this stage of our relationship. It will have been there, even if we were and still are, too embarrassed to talk about it. The Bible, however, is not bashful or coy at all. This is young love and it's to be enjoyed and celebrated as a very good thing. 
As men and women, we are sensual beings. The Lord made us capable of experiencing these emotions of delight, and that was not an accident. We should encourage young love. And those of us in relationships where love has grown a little old should reminisce on our experiences. As we dwell on the sensuality of love, it will encourage us to continue to express our love in sensual ways. Ways that bring pleasure to our lover. Yet amongst all the delight of arousal and the anticipation of a new relationship, there is also an acute sense of vulnerability expressed in these verses. Vulnerability is inevitable in the journey of all lovers, particularly at the beginning. There are those fears of not being good enough for the one we have fallen for. In the confusion of how to progress a relationship, there are the fears of getting it wrong and messing up something precious. Are we being too pushy? Are we being too shy? Also, when we get into a relationship, we bring a lot of baggage with us. Baggage from our home and family life. Baggage from the challenges of growing up. We worry that all this will get in the way and prevent what could be. It really is the case that amongst the explosion of sensuality and young love, we experience the reality of our own brokenness. In this opening to the song, the vulnerability of the woman is expressed in verses 5 to 7. First of all, she fears being too dark-skinned. In today's world, we prize a suntan. We go to almost any lengths to get one, for it's deemed healthy and attractive. In ancient Israel, though, fairer skin was deemed more desirable. Unfortunately, this woman comes from a fairly impoverished background. As a result, she's had to work long hours in a vineyard under the unforgiving Middle Eastern sun. She has a dark complexion as a result. We also discover a little more about the circumstances of her upbringing. She's been bullied by her brothers into this hard labour. She was unable to protect her appearance as she so desired. We get the sense that this woman is a, a little sunburnt, a little unkempt, but worst of all, she's greatly embarrassed by her appearance and background. All of this has given way to a profound sense of insecurity in her heart. The woman feels so privileged to be at the beginning of a relationship, but has no idea how to progress it. She's desperate not to make a wrong move because, after all, this could be her ticket away from poverty and her brothers. In verse 7, we find her wrestling with her thoughts. Should she go down to where her lover works, tending his flocks at midday? Or should she hold back? If she does go, what if she's seen by others hovering around? What will they think? Will they think her pushy and desperate? Will they consider her immoral, perhaps even like a veiled prostitute? Can you see her longing for a relationship is so intense, it highlights in her mind all of her weaknesses. In no time at all, her fears have become almost the fevered thoughts of panic. Here then is the great honesty of this first part of the song. The madness of young love is both joyful and painful. 
It awakens us to sensuality that we have never known before. It also opens our eyes to our own brokenness and can make us feel profoundly vulnerable. So into all this difficulty, this roller coaster of emotion, what practical wisdom does the song offer? Well, first of all, young lovers are to seek the guidance and encouragement of friends that they trust. As the song goes on, this young woman, bursting with so much feeling, discovers that she has to express it. She just cannot keep these emotions locked inside any longer. So she shares both her hopes and fears with her friends and confidants. In my experience, women are much better at doing this than men. When Emily and I were thinking about going out, she told her best friends and sought their support way before I told anyone. And notice what these friends do. In these song, these friends listen keenly to the woman. They form a sounding board for her thoughts, helping her to think through the situation as she expresses it. In verse 4, they offer real encouragement to the woman that this relationship is worth progressing. In verse 8, they offer practical advice. If the woman is worried about being seen standing around while her lover works with his sheep, She should take some of her own sheep with her. Then she'll be seen to be working too. I can just hear a group of women coming up with that advice for one of their friends who is head over heels in love. This song is so real, isn't it? The second piece of wisdom the song offers for the trials of young love is not to rush it. Our reading ended with a key verse that we will find repeating itself throughout the song. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. At times in these opening verses, the young woman expresses her natural desire to consummate her love. In verse 4, she dreams of her lover whisking her off to his chambers. In verse 16, she pictures in her mind what her marriage bed will be like. By verse 5 of chapter 2, things have got to such a heat, she's feeling quite faint with longing. Again, the Bible is far less embarrassed about this topic than we often are. God made us sexual beings. It is totally natural to fantasise in this way. Sexual desire is not wrong. It is very good. The question is, what do we do with it? Through the interaction with her friends, the woman says that she needs to cool it a bit. She needs to await the appropriate time for consummation. At this early stage, she must not let her desires run away or spiral out of control, for that will only make the challenging early days of a relationship even harder to navigate. It may ruin the beautiful flower of love before it even has had time to bud. This then leads us to the third and most important piece of wise advice offered in this opening of the song. We are to realise that true human fulfilment is to be found in long-term security. 
In the case of romance, the climax of love is not a few moments of physical lust enacted in sex. The climax of love is marriage. We can see this teaching come through in the way this young relationship develops. Verses 2 to 7 are the woman on her own with just a few friends for company, and they're full of the romantic dreams and worrying insecurities that we have mentioned. But then from verse 9, the woman starts to meet her man. Conversation begins. Very soon in verses 9 to 17, compliments start flowing back and forth. By the opening to chapter 2, the couple are sitting together, taking the time to really get to know one another in each other's presence. What we have then here is a solid relationship beginning to be developed And we can see the huge impact that it has. Whereas in verses 5 to 7 of chapter 1, the woman was expressing great vulnerability. By the beginning of chapter 2, she's beginning to grow in confidence. Whereas she was once harshly criticising herself for being too dark, now she can perceive her own beauty. She is a rose of Sharon. A large part of this song then is the security that comes in a committed relationship and how that enables us to blossom and experience delight. I love the imagery of verse 4 of chapter 2 where she says, Let his banner over me be love. We can picture the two of them going out to a public place. He has his arm round her shoulder, helping her to feel protected demonstrating his pride in her for all to see. In verse 6 of chapter 2, he's lifting up her head from where it hung down in embarrassment. He's also fully embracing her in his arms, showing her that she is fully wanted and loved. All of this is about security and commitment, and that is what is most important to develop at the beginning of a relationship. Song of Songs shows us how long-term security helps us to be who we really are as humans. It helps us to appreciate ourselves. It helps us to stop worrying. It opens us up to those sensual feelings of delight that our own anxiety often strangles. Interestingly, long-term security is the safe space for sex, which comes much later in the poem. The message of this opening section of the song then tells us that love is both beautiful and dangerous. Like a fire outside of a fireplace, premature sexual expression can do great damage. Yet like a fire in a fireplace, enacted sexual desire within marriage can build us up by giving us warmth and life. Above all else then, we need to start with the fireplace. Security is what we need most of all. Those of us listening to this who are blessed to be in a relationship should take note of this. It doesn't matter how long we've been together, we can always be seeking to make our lover feel more secure. We can give them our best attention, we can offer them compliments, we can extend physical touch sitting next to them on the sofa, holding hands, an arm round the shoulder. We can find ways of demonstrating our pride in them. 
May our spouses know that our banner over them is love and they can rest secure underneath it. So that is the first part of the song. We've read of young love with all its excitement and fears. The story of romance has begun. We've also been given some wise advice along the way. If dating, we should seek the advice and encouragement of trusted friends. We should not rush things and we should seek commitment way before sex. But what is the transferable value that we can take away regardless of whether we're in a relationship or not? Well, I think it's the importance of security. As human beings, we all feel vulnerable at times. As life goes on, we all come face to face with our inherent weaknesses and brokenness. As we've journeyed through this pandemic, we've all discovered insecurities that we have about life, many of which we keep buried most of the time. Truly, if we're honest, one of the greatest things we long for in life is the assurance that comes with a secure relationship. The Bible wants us to know that even above relationships with spouses, our true security is to be found in our relationship with God. It is his love for us that holds us firm through all things. Just listen to some of these verses. Deuteronomy 31.8 The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Matthew 28.20 Jesus said, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Romans 8.28 We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Hebrews 13.5-6 God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. I could list hundreds more. God promises to forgive our mistakes. God promises to answer our prayers and comes to our aid. God promises eternal life beyond death. And of course, God has proved the security of his love for us in that he was willing to send Jesus to die for us on the cross. Once he has done that, what is there that he wouldn't do to take care of us? As Christians, we have a secure relationship with God, not based just on sensuality and feelings, important though they are, but based on facts. A relationship like the one in Song of Songs that God has worked hard to build. May that be an encouragement to us all in these challenging days.